Well, as I mentioned, the worship set, if I were to go back and rewrite my sermon and use song lyrics, really our worship set this morning was the heart of what the Lord has put on my heart this morning. So let's pray, and I am so excited to dive right into it. Father, I just thank you so much for your goodness, and thank you, thank you, thank you, God, that we have the opportunity now to freely open up your word. With an American flag behind us and grateful for this country that we get to live in with the freedom to worship you, We thank you now that as we open up your word and hear from heaven, that you want to bless us with an individual word that comes from your heart to your children. May you be with the words that you have helped me to prepare, and may you allow me to deliver them in the way that you would delight in, and in a way that people can receive. Thank you, Father. Go before us now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, growing up as a kid, uh, I lived in a neighborhood, and I was so blessed to have multiple kids my age. I'm talking 20 to 30 kids my age that lived in my neighborhood. So before there was a Nintendo Wii, there was Wii, you know, us. And we would go outside and play street hockey and basketball and run around on our bikes. And we weren't watching TV all day or glued to a cell phone. We were doing adventures in the backyard. It it was wonderful. And and, uh, my best friend lived next door to me. And I remember one day after playing all day long outside, finally coming home, my mom forced me to take a bath because dirty old boys, they don't want to take baths. They just want to live in their stink and made me take a bath. I'm all clean now. And she says, okay, settle in, watch some TV, and then you're going to bed soon. Well, as I'm watching TV, I look out my bedroom window and I see my best friend. He's standing over the fence and his face is sticky with marshmallow and chocolate. And he's like, hey, we're doing s'mores. And there I am, this little seven-year-old prisoner held inside of my bedroom like... <laughs> But my mom said, I can't go outside. I have to stay in. He's like, dude, just run out real quick and back. You won't get caught. And I thought, yeah, I'll listen to the advice of a six-year-old. That'll make sense. And so I creep over to my sliding glass door, and I just, like ninja-like precision, open the lock and gently slide it. And I run at full speed, barefooted, mind you, after a bath, in the grass and dirt, All the way, I grab a s'more, and I'm like, thank you, and I turn around to run back, and as I turn around, who's standing at the sliding glass door? My mama. And she looked at me, she says, you, here, now. (laughs) And I sat there like. (laughs) It was the slowest walk back inside, and I got my butt whooped that night, let me tell you. Just lots of adventures with these kids, but I did something so, so, so stupid one day. As a young kid, still only six, seven years old, I found out that that best friend uh, was actually adopted. And I found that out because I asked my, my parents, I said, why is, is Donnie's parents so much older? They, they, they're really up there in years. He's like, well, because he was adopted. You know, his, his parents couldn't take care of them. They were addicted to drugs. And so uh, they gave him up for adoption. And then his parents took him in so he could be raised in a great house. So I thought that was all wonderful. But as a young kid, I didn't realize you're supposed to keep that a secret. And so one night on a sleepover, that information spilled out to my friend. And he cried all night screaming for his real mother, his real mother. I got in so much trouble that day. And you can imagine as a parent who has an adopted child that for years you have been rehearsing what that conversation is gonna look like and just to have it sprung on you like that. And the heart that broke that night will stick with me forever. The pain that I could feel. Have you ever felt the pain from somebody else that wasn't your own pain to own, but you can feel it? 
And I felt his pain that day, and I said, wow, the incredible bond that children have to their parents, even if they've never been in the picture. And today, I want to talk about the power of the family we have in God. Each and every one of us, every human has a desire to be loved by the Father, to be in a spiritual family. There is something written into our DNA that says we must belong to a family. I heard one preacher say that the government of heaven is not rules and policies, it's family. That the government of heaven is family. So today, I'm going to launch into a brand new series on our identity. For the next three weeks, I want to unpack what it looks like to be called a child of God, to fully walk as a new creation in Christ, to talk about how we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and how critically important it is for us not just to know about it, but to fully live it out. You'll be amazed at how easy it is for us to neglect the powerful truth of who we are in God. And then specifically today, I want to talk about displacing the orphan spirit. You may have heard sermons on this before, and I'll unpack this a little bit more for us. But in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. And in that same context, later on in verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. So we, we hear this term spiritual orphan. What does that really mean? What, what does that come out to? Well, I believe it's a complex answer. It's something that is, it has a long definition, much like the word love. Love has a lot of definitions. Spiritual orphan has a very complex definition. But if I were to give a shot at giving it a simple definition, it's this. Those who live without the awareness of the Father's love for their life. Those who live without an awareness. And a spiritual orphan is much like a physical orphan where they feel abandoned. That even though they may know that God's love is all around them, they, they live in a way as if God doesn't exist. Meaning they live with bitterness. They live with offense. They live with the victim mentality. It's all about themselves, self-focus, self-care. It's all about uh, um, survival of the fittest. And I don't care who I have to hurt or what I have to do to get to survive and to find my own happiness because the one thing that should have satisfied me, the Father's love, being in God's family is not there and I'm not aware of it and therefore we act out in these things. I mean, you could be an atheist, an unbeliever and behave like a spiritual orphan, but the danger is that you can be a Christian and have been saved by the blood of Jesus, have read the Bible, go to church every Sunday and still manifest the behaviors of a spiritual orphan. No, nobody is exempt from experiencing these things if, if we allow our minds to believe the lie of the enemy. I heard one preacher say that the very definition of hell is separation from God. That it's not so much a punishment, it's the fact that you are subjected to eternity outside of the presence of God. That is the definition of hell. And if that be the case, living like a spiritual orphan is the closest thing we can do to experience a living hell that we live without the awareness of the Father. We live without the blessing of being called his own. And it really comes down to this trust issue. Do we believe that God is good? Do we believe that he's for me? Like Pastor Phil said, 90 years, he's always been faithful. Do we believe that on a heart level? I know one pastor, uh, at a time in their lives, they were bringing in foster children into their home. And one little boy came into their home, and on the first night, they're sitting around the, the table and eating dinner and this little boy, he, the pastor notices that he just starts slipping little bits of food into his pockets throughout the meal. 
Later that next day when the little boy went off to school, the, the parents went into the bedroom and in the drawers and the nightstand under the bed were stashes of food. This little boy who had come from orphanages and had gone through tremendous trials thought in his heart, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. So therefore, I have to look out for myself. I can't trust anybody. People have broken my trust. People have hurt me. I've gone without food before. I will never let this happen again, no matter what. If I have to steal, if I have to kill, whatever I have to do, I'm going to protect myself. And it took time for this family to lovingly reassure him. Listen, buddy, you will always have food in this household. There is a refrigerator and a pantry always going to be filled with food. You can help yourself at any time. And if you ever want more, we will always buy you more. And it took time for that little boy to gain the trust of his foster parents to be able to, to walk in a way with confidence and know a trust. These people love me and they will actually take care of me. There's a lot of reasons why we, we forsake God and take our awareness off of him and become like a spiritual orphan. One of those things is fear. We fear what other people will think of us. We fear God in an unhealthy way that he's angry with us and so forth. Sometimes we even compare God to our earthly fathers. You know, and whether you had a great father or a father who wasn't there or a father in between, it's not like our God. God is a perfect, loving father. And in Psalm chapter 27, I believe in around verse 10, he says that though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will raise me up. Then you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, you really hear the heart of God in which he de declares in the New Testament, I will be a father to you. Not a God, not a Lord, not a rule maker, not just creator, not just all these wonderful attributes about God, but he says, I will be family to you. That's why we sing, I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend, I will live in the goodness of God. We have to believe for ourselves that God's number one motive is love. Think about it. In heaven, God had everything that he needed. Streets of gold and, and the lake like crystal and angels that worshiped him every second of all eternity saying, you are holy, lavishing him with love. He had Father, Son, Holy Spirit in which they were fellowshipping. He had all that he needed. Yet he is a father by nature and he needed children to be an object of his affection, to pour his love out onto, to have people that would carry his love and demonstrate it and display it to a hurting world that is all around them. God needed us because he needed to love us. And the more, most important revelation, I believe, the most important revelation outside of John 3.16 and Jesus as our savior is the revelation of knowing who we are that I am a child of God, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that I am a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that my identity is royalty, my destiny is heaven, and I will do nothing else other than what I hear the Father tell me. Some of us live in a way where we don't recognize that. We go by rules, we, we go by our feelings, we go by emotions, we go by our circumstances and just wanting relief from our pain. But in reality, we're put here on planet earth to say, God, you're all that I need. And I know who you have created me to be. And I want to do everything in perfect obedience to that. But there's some barriers and there's some things that want to rob us from living out our true identity. And today, if you have your Bibles, I want to go to the famous story, the prodigal son. If you remember a couple weeks ago, um, I was in the series about the presence of God, and I shared the first part of the story of the prodigal son. Now, my Bible, it has the title. You know how your Bible has 
subjects and subject titles. And it says in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. But that's the only title it gives all the way to the very end in verse 32. I believe that at the start of verse 25, there should be a new title. And that new subject line should say the prodigal brother. Because this story is not just about a father and a son who was lost and found. This story is about a brother who really had an orphan spirit heart and needed a change. And we see that happen. So a couple of weeks ago, I read the first part of the, the story. Now I want to read the last part. We're going to begin in verse 25. Again, out of Luke chapter 15 in the New American Standard, 1995 edition. Why can't we just leave the Bible alone? <laughs> Why do we have to come out with a new translation every three months? You know, it's like, oh, this one is the I love you version. And then this one is the teddy bear version. And this one's like this leave the Bible alone. As much as I'm grateful for new, uh, new things that will help people read the Bible, because they have a new series now where every book is broken down like a, um, a comic book and also like a magazine. It's pictures and so forth. Hey, whatever gets you to read the Bible, but I'm like, man, just leave it alone. There's nothing wrong with the Bible, especially the New American Standard 1995 edition. <laughs> In my humble opinion, <laughs> verse 25, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And I'm going to stop a lot here, so bear with me. I'm going to read and stop, read and stop. In this story, we know that the son got his inheritance early. He left. He blew it on all kinds of sin. He was starving to death, and he came to his senses and ran back home to a father that embraced him and welcomed him. But now his brother is out in the field and he's looking in on how his dad is lavishing this sinful son, your, your sinful child, with all this appreciation and celebration, and he gets angry. And the first thing I want us to notice is that the older son was in the field. He was in the field with the servants. Why wasn't he in the father's house with the rest of the family? Now, when we talk about the orphan spirit, where are you being positioned? Are you in the presence of God? Are you at the throne room of grace? Or are you out in the world listening and receiving all kinds of lies and all kinds of distractions? Are you where you need to be in your heart level? He heard music and dancing, verse 26. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. We live in an age today where we go to Google before we go to God, right? Now, when David was was wanting to go after uh, the enemies who kidnapped their families after Ziklag was burned down, before he made a move, it says in 1 Samuel 30 that he inquired of the Lord. He didn't inquire of his friends. He didn't inquire of those who wanted to stone him. He didn't ask for advice. He didn't go to Google and say, should I go after these Philistines? No. He inquired of the Lord. But this brother, rather than going to his father, who was more, I mean, if he would welcome a sinful child back into his household, how much more would he respond to your questions? But this brother, who is acting like a spiritual orphan, as if his father doesn't love him, he goes to his friends, to the servants, to get information on a subpar level, rather than going to the father. In verse 27, and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And then the brother, verse 28, he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. So when you live in an orphan spirit, you don't want to go to the father first. You don't believe the father loves you. You go to other people's advice. You start believing other philosophies and perspectives and so forth, and the result of that is bitterness. 
The result of that is offense. The result is that I want nothing to do with you and you find separation between relationships that should be so important to you. He became angry. What's wrong with celebrating? My brother was lost and now he's found, but all he could think about was himself because he didn't believe his father loved him. And the result, you see how the the orphan spirit manifests things that are opposed to the nature of God. Verse 29, the father, he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never even given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. I know this is serious, but I always laugh at this part in the Bible. Can you imagine your 14, 16-year-old coming up to you like, you never gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. Like, it's just, it's still funny to me. I don't know why. But you see the heart again here and that he says, I have been serving you and I've never neglected a commandment. What do spiritual orphans do to demand their blessing, to demand that they get their way? They say, look at all I've done. Look at how I've performed. Look at all the good works I've done. Look at how great of a, of a believer I've been. Again, you could be a Christian that can study the the Bible, Genesis to maps. You can have perfect attendance at church. You can do everything right. You could be a model citizen, but in your heart, you still don't believe God fully loves you. You don't fully believe that you're completely forgiven. And so you work in order to get something from God. I believe it's in Romans where it speaks about a way that you operate as if you're getting paid wages from God. I have done this, therefore you owe me a paycheck. That's not how it works. It's by grace alone, not through works that we are saved, only through the grace of Jesus. And so we don't do anything to earn and deserve what God so freely wants to give to us. And so in our nature, we can't operate like an orphan that says, I will do this and this so that God will do this. Like you go on a fast, but it's not really a fast. It's a hunger strike until you get God to do what you want him to do. That's not how this works. Everything has been freely given to us. It's already within us. But we need to connect with God first to hear from him how we express that. And we'll wrap it up here in verse 30 and 31. But when, his, when this son of yours came, not my brother, this son of yours, uh, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. He, he was trying to tell his son, you're not getting it. I love you in the same way I love your brother. I love you in the sense that everything that I own is yours. At any time you wanted that goat for your friends in a party, I would have done it for you above and beyond, but you don't come to me. You live in a way where, like you're the victim, like everybody's against you. And if we're not careful, one thought, one lie, one doubt, one distraction can lead us to a place where we feel like God has abandoned us, even though he's given us all of heaven. So we need to be cautious. And in your notes, there's a, a few bits of encouragement Uh, that I pray you take to heart in helping us to fully walk into our identity as sons and daughters. Number one is to take your own advice. Take your own advice. I know that sounds bad, but I'll explain in just a second. I remember uh, when my son was probably in second grade, um, he was known for being, for always being at the snack shack. Always. I remember one time we were going on vacation and uh, a friend of ours were watching him and we gave Gabriel $20 for the week to get snacks and lunch. Well, he didn't tell the babysitters that he uh, got that 20, so the babysitters gave him 20. He spent $38 on day one at the snack shack. $38, can you believe that? And so he got in trouble, but anyway, one day he's at the, he's at the snack shack, and uh, the, the principal's son, 
He was probably a teenager at the time. He worked in the maintenance department and he wanted to play a little trick on the kids. And so there's this long line at the snack shack and the principal's son jumps in the very front of the line. And all the kids are like, hey, you can't cut, you can't cut. He goes, whoa, 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 it's okay. I'm the principal's son. To which my, my kid, he pops out of line. He's like, well, I'm the pastor's son and that's better, so get out. <laughs> so we had a conversation that night. We had a conversation. Because I, I want my son to be a respectful citizen. I want him to be a, a good pastor's child. I want, I want him to love the Lord and, and to show that. And I share that because as a parent, you want so desperately for your child to love the Lord, to read their Bible, to enjoy going to church, to be a good-hearted kid, to have love in their heart, to be kind and courteous and, and giving and, and wanting to bless people. That's how you want them to be raised up. And so if we're considering this thought of how do I protect myself from being a spiritual orphan and fully walk into my identity, I need to go and bridge the gap between those two elements. What do I need to do? Well, what advice would you give to your child? If your child came up to you and said, you know, mom, dad, I'm just struggling. I, you know, I know God loves me, but I'm just not feeling it. And, and, and I know that, that he's going to protect me and he's going to give to me and he's going to lead me, but I just can't hear his voice. What advice would you give to your child? And then the challenge, therefore, is are you taking your own advice? And what you would share with a friend who is hurting or a child who needs some direction, would you take your own advice? I got a good friend of mine, uh, we've been in ministry together for years, and he's now a life coach. And so I said, oh, you're a life coach, life coach me. <laughs> and so we began having conversations and working through little hiccups in my life and, you know, roadblocks I had in my, my perspective. And I was trying to break through something, uh, some wrong thinking that I had and, and just seeing things in the wrong way. And he, he stopped and he said, well, Pastor Rudy, he says, if, if one of your church members came up to you and asked you that question, what would you say? I said, I don't know. He says, well, if you were to write a sermon on that, what would you say? And it just made me think there for a moment. It says, God has given us everything we need. The spirit of revelation is in my heart. The Holy Spirit is wall to wall in my spirit. So all I need to do is stop and reflect and say, God, you are with me. God, you want to speak to me. So what is there? What is it that you have already given to me that I need to bring up to the surface and that I need to meditate on and reflect on and think? And you know, the reality is that you can give advice. You can read the Bible to your child. You can drag your children to church. You, you can send them to Bible camp. But in the end of the day, you want your child to want it for themselves. You want your child, you want your friend, you want that person that's hurting to have their own encounter with love, their own encounter with God. And that is so incredibly important for us to do as well. We can't just be based on knowledge alone. Knowledge is a good thing. Memorizing scripture is wonderfully powerful. But we got to have biblical knowledge, revelation knowledge, not knowledge that puffs up. There's a danger to intellectualism. There's a danger to just going through all the disciplines and all the routines, all these things, but have a heart that is far from God. And in the scriptures, we see multiple examples. We see John chapter 5, verse 39, and where Jesus comes up to the religious folks and says, with your traditions and your study of the scripture, you believe you have eternal life in those things. But these scriptures, they testify of me. Then in Mark uh, chapter 7, I believe in verse 13, a powerfully, powerful statement of warning. Jesus says, you have nullified the word of God with your vain traditions. Is your routine getting in the way of your relationship? Is, is your, your things in Christian, even though those are good things, are, are you holding on to them so much that you're not allowing God to freely move in your life to switch some things up? 
let, let, me, let me take a shot at your heart. <laughs> you can have a Bible that looks like a coloring book, but it doesn't mean you're changed. If you haven't allowed God to come fully into your heart to be able to fully allow you to be transformed. I mean, I found out an amazing deal one day while studying a, a commentary that children in Old Testament days, Jewish children, by the age of 10, had to have memorized the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. Have you ever read Numbers? Have you ever gone through all the laws in Leviticus? Memorize, okay? The Bible says that even the demons know the scripture, that the devil can quote scripture, but at the name of Jesus, they shudder. So that means you can know scripture just like the demons, but we have the personal relationship. We have the name of Jesus that is powerful and above all other names. So we have to take our own advice and say, God has given everything to me. I have every blessing in the spiritual realms. I have been called a child of God. So I need to take my own advice. What is getting in the way of me fully expressing that? Number two, number two in your notes, we have to live out our adoption, live out our adoption. We have been adopted into the family of God. I love in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It's not all about study. It's not about all these great things we can do in the Lord, in, in our faith. It says in, in Ephesians 5, 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children. We have to fully believe what God has declared over our lives. We can't just hear it. We can't just receive it. We have to fully believe it. That same friend of mine that I grew up next door to, uh, that I let the adoption information slip out, as I mentioned, we had adventures all the time. And there was one time in the backyard I, I'll never forget. Um, it's a moment I thought my friend was a little crazy. But he had dressed up completely as a made-up superhero. He made his own mask. He made his own cape. He had weird-looking boots on. And this little kid was running around the backyard with a plastic sword. And he even made up a name for this superhero character that he was. And so I'm playing along, and we're having fun, you know, and, and just thinking nothing to it. And then he stops, and he lifts up his homemade mask, and he goes, Psst, Rudy, it's me, Donnie. And he puts his mask back down, and he runs off to continue to fight with the sword. And I'm thinking, my friend is crazy. He literally thinks that he is a superhero and that I didn't know that it was him and his secret identity behind that. He fully believed it. But with that same childlike intensity, we need to believe that we are children of God. And then no other person, no other voice, no other lie can convince us otherwise that we are children of God. I wanted to quote it, but I want to, I want to do a complete justice. This is not in your notes and it's not in the screen, but in Romans chapter, chapter 8 and verse 15, it says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so we may also be glorified with him. We are children of God through adoption. Now, if we were to look at this in a funny way and think of a scenario such as Bill Gates, who has a ton of money, more money than he needs, were to come up to you and say, I really, really like you. In fact, I want to adopt you. Here's a credit card linked to my bank account, you know, and there's no cap, there's no limit. Do as you please. A lot of our stresses might go away. We can buy any house, there's no limit. We can buy any car, there's no limit. All of our medical bills would be paid. Our children's college tuition would be paid. A lot of stresses would go away. They say money doesn't buy happiness, but it can take care of some problems. It's a tool that God has given to us. 
right? And in the same way that stress would be gone by having access to billions of dollars, you know, it's more, life is more than just money. It's about eternity. So if God, who is the creator of all of this universe, says that we are his children and we have access to his heart and access to his blessing, how much more should the stress that we endure melt away? And Jesus modeled so well how we need to stay connected to the Father and how much we need to declare who we really are in God, that we are children of him. Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to know perfect theology, you can see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus says in Colossians, I believe, uh, 115 or so, that Jesus is the physical representation of the unseen Father. So Jesus demonstrated who the Father is in his love, and everything he did was an example of how we should live. And isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that Jesus, who was the Savior of the world, the Messiah to save everyone of their sins, never referred to himself as that. If someone says, are you the Messiah? He's like, it is as you say. But whenever he referred to himself, he, he didn't say, I, the Savior of the world, have come to bring life and life to its fullest. No, he, he didn't say, I, the, the Messiah, have come to destroy the works of the devil. No, he always referred to himself as the Son of God, Son of David, Son of Man, Son, Son, Son. He always referred to himself as Son. And I believe that he did that in a way to demonstrate to us that we should believe the same that we are sons and that we are daughters of God and every expression that we have in life should be tied in to that. I believe that the bridge between the consequences of living the orphan spirit, the bridge that leads us to the blessing of living as a son or daughter of God, that bridge is declaration. When was the last time you took purposeful time to declare out loud, I'm a child of God? How, how much have you declared out, out loud, thank you, Father, that I am righteous in you. Thank you that my sins are hidden in you. Thank you that I am a new creation. When was the last time a doubt or a fear slipped into your heart and instead of just worrying about it and, and praying about it, you declared, mm -mm, in the name of Jesus, I am healed. In the name of Jesus, I am freed. In the name of Jesus, I've been saved and forgiven. Do we really take our faith and put it to our mouth? Do we allow what's in our heart to come through as a declaration? I mean, the Bible is so clear. Let the weak say, I am strong. You're not hypocritical. If the doctor says you have a disease, you have a disease, but that's just the facts. The truth is I am healed and my spirit is healed in the name of Jesus. And so regardless of how you feel, regardless of what circumstance you go through, you can declare with all confidence because of all that Jesus has done for you and you can live out your adoption. And the final encouragement here this morning is that we need to turn our information to personal application to personal application. And I'm gonna share a story that I've shared multiple times, but you know what? When you have a testimony in your heart that radically changed your life, there's something about it that you just have to keep on sharing. And two and a half, almost three years ago now, we were in a church right before a senior pastor betrayed us, broke every promise he, he told of us that we left our old church for, and we ended up planting a church and ending that church, becoming homeless. You guys all know the story. And I remember weeks before I lost my job at that church, weeks before that pastor betrayed us, I was standing in the front row off to this side and our friends, their worship leaders, they sang that song, Take Courage. So take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. And I was a Christian for a long time, but standing right there, I'm singing eyes closed. I'm fully engaged. And it said, he is in the waiting. 
and I wish there was a camera on my face because I did this. Whoa, he is in the waiting. I've been trusting God for breakthrough. I've been trusting God for victory. I've been trusting God for my freedom, but he is in the waiting. And as we sang this morning, he is all that we want. He is all that we desire. And for the first time in my 20 years in ministry, I realized, wow, this is more than just about an answer. This is more than just a testimony. This is about the privilege we have of connecting with the Father. He's in the waiting. And that was just a simple but powerful moment in a worship song that prepared me and carried me. That word, that song carried me through the next two and a half years of horrible circumstances. Sitting there with 14 cents in my checking account and a $20 bill in my pocket in a motel room because we had no home. And I said, no, he's in the waiting. So I'm not going to lose my joy. I'm not going to stress out. He's done it before. He'll do it again. So right now, you, Jesus, help me. Teach me in this moment what I need to know to have Jesus be all that I need. In every circumstance that I went through, my wife and I testified to it all the time. How did we go through losing all of our finances, the $40,000 we saved up to pour into a church that is now gone? How could we go through being homeless, go through all these what ifs and gray areas and unknowns and have our marriage thrive? How? Because he is in the waiting. And I turned a simple moment of information. I knew God loved me. I knew he was always there. I knew the presence of God was in me. I knew I was filled with the spirit. But in that moment, my information turned to application. And it stuck with me. It was a revelation that was individual. And now every single thing that I go through, I'm prepared with the individual word that God gave to me. He can give it to you too, but he gave it to me. And every circumstance I go through now, I'm prepared because I believe that God will never lead you into something that he hasn't already given you the victory, that he hasn't already given to you everything that you need. But we got to trust. We have to believe. And God will not force adoption upon us. We have to be the ones that live it out. And let me conclude with this story. Uh, I may have shared this before, so forgive me if you've heard it, but it, it just, it paints so visually what I'm trying to communicate in my heart. Uh, there was a father and a son in Spain years ago, true story, and they had a fallout. The son did something horrible, and the father was upset, and there was a blowout. The son leaves the house and is gone for months. And as he's gone, the father just starts reflecting, and his heart starts breaking, and he's longing in love for his son to come back. He couldn't take it anymore. So he goes to the newspaper office, and he pays an incredible amount to take out a full page cover page and it says, Paco, I miss you, I love you, all is forgiven. Please meet me at this office at 10 a.m. on Saturday. So the father puts that ad out in the middle of the week and he waits until the weekend and finally Saturday arrives and the dad walks all the way down to the newspaper office at 10 a.m. And when he gets there at that newspaper office, there are over 800 Pacos that showed up. 800 young men who had a fallout with their father. 800 young men who were lost in their ways, were separated from their family, didn't believe their family was there for them or loved them. 800 young men who, who knows what they were going through as far as addiction and problems and just like the prodigal son, squandering all their stuff on sinful ways. Who knows what those 800 young men, but all I know is that one man decided love is more important and there is forgiveness and called out in desperation to his son to have restoration and reconciliation. And that one act inspired 800 others to say, if my father loves me, I'm coming running. And this morning, 
Um, I love Facebook for a lot of reasons. I can't stand Facebook for a lot of reasons. But this morning was a great reason. I got a reminder from exactly a year ago today. I was reading the book of Acts chapter 16, and I took a picture of what I highlighted, and I saw that Paul and Silas were unfairly put in prison. They were shackled and put into a dungeon. And in the midnight hour, unfairly beaten and flogged and hungry and cold and put into the inner dungeon. In the middle of the night, they sang praise to God. That was their breakthrough. In my opinion, what spiritual breakthrough is, is when you are stuck, hurting, lost, and the lights come on like it did for me in that worship song. That is a breakthrough. But if you didn't know, there's a difference between your breakthrough and your victory. Your breakthrough is what helps you break through yourself and get to a place where you can praise God but your victory is for the benefit of others. And that's why later in that chapter, just a couple verses, after it talks about Paul praising him in the midnight hour, it says that the earthquake came, every door opened, everyone's chains fell off. Not just because he, he, he praised and his chains fell off, but because of what he did through his breakthrough, it led to a victory for every single person. So much like this father who had a breakthrough and got past his own pride and got past his own hurts and his own offense to say, I welcome you. I don't care what you've done. Nothing is more important than this right here. His one act of breakthrough led to the victory of 800 other young men who were hurting. So my encouragement and so my dare and my challenge to us all is what are you doing selfishly that is hindering you from having your own breakthrough in your true identity that could radically change your family, radically change your family line? radically change your work area, your ministry. What could happen if you come to a place where you own your identity, fully given to God what he declares over you and take it to heart? Father, I thank you so much for what's been accomplished today. As we read in the scriptures, your children in the wilderness, they camped around the fire of God. We camped around the presence. And I feel this morning we have camped around the presence of God. Thank you for every one of my friends and family here, those who are watching online. Thank you, Father, that we have come to a place in your house to worship you and lavish you with glory and honor that is due, that we can hear from the scriptures of your great love for us. It's a heavy topic, and I know that there are many things in our hearts from over the years that may want to hinder us from fully stepping into your love. So in the name of Jesus, I cancel every assignment, every wrong thought, every, every lie that may try to creep into somebody's soul. Let this week be a week of complete freedom and abandonment to fully receive, God, every word that you have to declare over their lives. May you stir them up from their innermost being and let praise come forth, let worship come forth, let powerful declarations partnering with the truth of what you have declared, that it may go on and through their lives to bless their families and beyond. Go with us now as we enjoy in this beautiful Sunday, as we go about a new week. Give us the strength that we need. Give us the worship that we long for. Give us the communion and fellowship with you that brings strength and freedom. Go before us. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you, family. We will see you soon.